Section 7 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee book six chapter eight part two the custom of allowing counsel in criminal cases is so comparatively recent in english law that their admission by the inquisition may be regarded as an evidence of desire to render justice in spain however it was customary and defendants too poor to retain them were supplied at the public expense in the royal chancelleria as organized by ferdinand and isabella there were two abogados de los pobres in the medieval inquisition during its earlier centuries counsel were not allowed to the accused and it became a settled principle of the canon law that advocates who undertook the defense of heretics were suspended from their functions and were perpetually infamous towards the close of the fifteenth century however in witchcraft trials we find advocates admitted but under the strict limitations that we shall see in spain and those who showed themselves too zealous in defense of their clients were subject to excommunication as fators of heresy when the spanish inquisition was founded it was therefore a matter of course that the accused should be allowed the assistance of trained lawyers and not only this but of procurators who attended to the business of the defence performing the functions in some sort of the english solicitor while the letrado represented the barrister and drew up the argument in a number of trials at ciudad real in fourteen eighty three there appears to have been considerable freedom of choice the accused selecting both advocates and procurators during the persecution at guadalupe in fourteen eighty five the defendants were mostly represented by dr de villa escusa as advocate and by juan de texeda as procurator and the arguments in defence were well and forcibly presented this was in accordance with the instructions of fourteen eighty four which order that if the accused shall ask for an advocate and procurator the inquisitors shall grant the request receiving from the advocate an oath to assist him faithfully without cavils or malicious delays but that if at any stage of the case he finds that his client has not justice on his side he will help him no longer and report to the inquisitors if the accused has property they shall be paid from it but if he has none they shall be paid out of other confiscations for such are the orders of the sovereigns 
yet this liberality was nullified by the clause requiring advocates to betray their clients thus destroying all confidence between them and fatally crippling the defence it was however in accordance with the ethics of the age and we shall see how it developed in a manner to render illusory the services of the advocate it would seem that the tribunals sometimes chafed under these rules and asserted discretion to disregard them for in the case of the priest diego garcia in fourteen eighty eight when he was told to select an advocate and a procurator the fiscal refused consent and he had to conduct his own defence though at a subsequent stage of the trial diego tellez appeared for him it was possibly in consequence of such cases and of other impediments to the defence that the suprema issued a provision that all prisoners should be allowed to take a procurator and advocate provided they were fitting persons also that the children and kindred of the accused should not be prohibited from consulting as freely as they pleased with the counsel and that he should have copies of the accusation the depositions of the witnesses and other papers in conformity with the instructions all this which was demanded by the simplest demands of justice became as we shall see a dead letter that the danger awaiting a too zealous advocate was not purely hypothetical is seen in the case of casafranca deputy of ferdinand's treasurer-general of catalonia who was burnt in the auto de fe of january seventeen fifteen o five and his wife in that of june twenty third his father-in-law had been reconciled and his mother after condemnation died in the secret prison francisco franch the royal advocate fiscal had defended casafranca and the inquisition prosecuted him for his unsuccessful attempt to avert his client's fate although at that time he had risen to the position of regent of the royal chancellery ferdinand who felt much interest in his behalf made inquisitor-general deza write in his favor to francisco pais de sotomayor an inquisitor specially deputed to hear the case but this did not save him from bitter humiliation and dishonor february twenty eighth fifteen o five sotomayor pronounced sentence in which his offence was described as endeavouring to induce a witness to revoke his testimony and as impeding the inquisition by useless and procrastinating delays by which he had incurred excommunication and moreover he was guilty of perjury by asserting a false and erroneous conclusion for all which he had humbly begged pardon and mercy after obtaining absolution from a priest he was to stand the next day before the high altar of santa maria de jesu during mass with the lighted candle 
in penitential guise and forfeit all payment for his services which would have come out of casafranca's confiscated estate both he and the fiscal accepted the sentence but there was delay in his public penance for he refused to utter certain words interlined in the sentence which he asserted had been inserted since it was read to him the fiscal threatened to appeal to the inquisitor-general and demanded that franch be detained in prison until the appeal was decided whereupon he yielded and the ceremony was performed on march first when the efforts of counsel in behalf of their clients were thus effectually discouraged nothing but the most perfunctory services could be expected from them and the inquisitors need apprehend little trouble even this however was thought to give the accused too much chance and all risk of inconvenient zeal was averted by depriving him of the right to select his defender and confining the function to one or two appointees of the tribunal who could be relied upon to favor the faith the first intimation of this policy comes in the memorials of jaen and yerena in fifteen o six which complain bitterly that the inquisitors refused to allow the accused to select their advocates and procurators forcing them to take such as they appoint who will do their bidding the jaen memorial describes them as enemies of the people who desire arrests to be multiplied as they charge three thousand maravedis in every case which for the two hundred prisoners amounts to six hundred thousand this abuse probably originating with lucero was so conformable to the tendencies of the holy office that it gradually became the rule in fifteen thirty three one of the petitions of the cortes of monzon was that prisoners should be allowed to select their advocates and procurators and to this no direct answer was made in fifteen thirty seven the abogados de los presos were already recognized as officials appointed by the tribunals they were exclusively entitled to conduct the defense and in fifteen forty the suprema in reply to a petition said that if the party desired a different advocate it could only be on condition that he should act in consultation with the official one even this poor privilege was withdrawn for in fifteen sixty two valdez decreed that the official counsel should communicate with no other advocate it is true that in fifteen fifty one the suprema had admitted that if the tribunal had not been able to find a fitting lawyer for appointment the accused could select one but this was merely yielding to necessity the chief qualification for an abogado de los presos was his limpieza and that of his wife his subservience to the tribunal was assured by his dependent position but to render this more absolute about fifteen eighty 
the suprema ordered the lima tribunal and probably all others to make its advocates familiars an office which bound them to the strictest obedience allowing for natural exaggeration there is probably truth in the description given in fifteen fifty nine by antonio nieto a prisoner in valencia to his cellmate pedro luis verga who after his first audience was felicitating himself on inquisitor arteaga's promise to give him an advocate and a procurator nieto told him not to count upon it for though the inquisitor might give him an advocate he would give him nothing good but a fellow who would do only what the inquisitor wanted and if by chance he asked for an advocate or a procurator not of the inquisition they would not serve for if they went contrary to the inquisitor's wishes he would get up some charge of false belief or want of respect and cast them into prison the advocate thus became one of the officials of the tribunal duly salaried and working in full accord with the inquisitors in fifteen eighty four we find him of valencia petitioning to have a place assigned to him in the autos de fe where he could be recognized as such and at his ease see his client's sentence the petition was granted and he was allotted the last place among the salaried and commissioned officers this became the established rule but in time professional dignity was wounded at thus being relegated to a position inferior to the messengers and apparitors and jailers in valladolid and granada the advocates obtained promotion to attract the physicians and surgeons and in sixteen seventy the licentiate juan marquez advocate in the seville tribunal addressed to the suprema a formidable memorial of seventy-five quarto pages of text and fifteen of index representing the slight thus put upon them and setting forth the dignity of the legal profession the respect due to its learning and as regards the advocates of prisoners the confidential position occupied and the fidelity with which they served the tribunals it seems never to have occurred to him to put forward a claim based upon fidelity to their clients in fact the so-called advocate was simply an official instrument for securing confession and conviction for which his ostensible position of friendly adviser gave him peculiar opportunity no communication between him and his client was allowed except in presence of the inquisitors and of the secretary who made record of all that passed between them thus keeping watch to see that he performed his duty it is true that he was sworn to defend the prisoner with all care and diligence and fidelity if there was ground for it and if not to undeceive him but his real duty is described as urging the prisoner to confess fully as to himself and others 
and to throw himself upon the mercy of the tribunal for by denial he would only prejudice his case and suffer in the end how any deviation from this was treated appears in the case of benito ferrer in sixteen twenty one before the toledo tribunal in the consultation his advocate argendona suggested some points of defence displeasing to the inquisitors who promptly ordered him out of the audience chamber and sent benito back to his cell to refresh his memory and discharge his conscience and two days later argendona had to put in the written defence without further opportunity of conference the licentiate egas had a more accurate conception of his duty when serving as advocate for isabel rainier tried in fifteen seventy one for protestantism in toledo the official record states that after unavailing efforts to induce her to confess he asked whether she had any enemies to disable on which he could frame a defence when she named several but as the senores inquisidores wanted to dispatch the case he told her that this would avail her nothing for there was no presumption that enmity had caused false witness and he went on to persuade her that she had already confessed enough to render her case hopeless the impatience of the inquisitors was gratified for the unfortunate woman was sent to the stake without egas troubling them by putting in a written defence the old rule remained in force forbidding the advocate to defend an impenitent heretic it made no difference of course in the result but still permission to do so would have saved appearances such cases occasionally occurred like that of benito peñas at toledo in sixteen forty one a harmless lunatic with some vague speculative heresies his advocate juan diaz suelto after a conference in which his client obstinately rejected his advice to forsake his errors and beg for mercy reported that his efforts had been in vain so that it was necessary for him to abandon the defence in order not to incur the censures and other penalties imposed by the papal briefs and also for the speedier dispatch of the case even as late as seventeen fifty three at valencia the same occurred in the trial of a swindling german named hortzmann if even under these shackles an advocate desired really to defend his client he was deprived of the means to do so originally as we have seen the kindred and children were allowed freely to communicate with him to furnish indispensable assistance and information and to gather witnesses and he was also supplied with copies of the depositions of the witnesses and other necessary papers it seems to have been lucero the evil inquisitor of cordova who changed all this 
for the memorials of Hayen and Yerena complain bitterly of such denial of justice, rendering nugatory all the means of defense and depriving the kindred of all knowledge of the nature of the accusation. It expedited business, however, and facilitated conviction, and its usefulness overcame all scruples. In 1522, Cardinal Adrian forbade all communication between the advocate and the children or kinsmen of the accused, and this prohibition was repeated until it became the invariable rule. In the same spirit, the only document that he was allowed to have was a copy of the publication of evidence, which was a very different thing from the original depositions. To repress all initiative on his part, he was prohibited from putting forward any defense, save what the accused might suggest in their open consultations in the audience chamber, or to call for any witnesses whom the latter did not name, and the inquisitors were instructed to punish any infractions of this rule because they were troublesome and impeded the course of business. If an advocate was suspected of undue zeal, the inquisitors had the right to interrogate him as to the measures taken for the defense, the sources of his information, and other details. The defense in every way was obliged to play carte sur table, while the fiscal's hand was carefully guarded, and only such knowledge was permitted as served to confuse and mislead. It would seem scarce likely, under such regulations, that advocates would be guilty of really assisting their clients. But to guard against such possible derelictions of duty, inspectors were ordered, when visiting tribunals, to inquire whether they defend the accused maliciously and employ cavils for delay, and finally, whether or not they are necessary. At the same time, in its affectation of fairness, the Inquisition insisted on the accused having counsel. When, in 1565, Pedro Hernandez was tried at Toledo for Calvinism, he confessed at once professed conversion and begged for mercy when told to select an advocate he refused until informed that it was imperative for him to have one to conduct his defence of course this was a mere formality for he was duly burnt in the auto de fe of june seventeenth inquisitors moreover were required to admit all documents offered to them and to listen to any one who might have the hardihood to appear in favor of a prisoner simultaneously with the development of restrictions on the advocate the disappearance of the procurator completed the system of enabling the inquisitor to control the defense as well as the prosecution one of the latest references to the procurator is a regulation of 1545, which infers that, if the accused made application, the tribunal would grant him one, with the reservation that this did not entitle the kindred to aid in the defense. 
this jealousy of outside assistance constantly increased and some tribunals such as seville and cordova commenced to refuse admission to procurators except in prosecutions of the absent and dead the kindred might suggest the names of witnesses to the inquisitor who would summon and examine them finally inquisitor cervantes when in fifteen sixty he made a report on barcelona took the opportunity of pointing out the disadvantages of such representatives of the accused through them he argued the case became known they anticipate the witnesses before they give evidence they are able to identify them and furnish to the accused reasons for disabling them the bishop of avila a member of the suprema promptly admitted the force of this and declared that procurators ought no longer to be allowed this opinion prevailed and in the instructions of fifteen sixty one their admission was forbidden although in case of necessity special powers might be given to the advocate they continued however to be appointed in trials of the absent and dead where it was unavoidable the roman inquisition did not follow this example of the spanish and allowed the employment of procurators besides the advocate there appears in many trials a personage known as the curador or guardian a living evidence of the fatherly care of the inquisition toward the helpless following the traditions of the roman law spanish jurisprudence provided that in suits and actions involving those who had not attained the full age of twenty-five years the assent of a curador either permanent or temporary ad hoc was necessary to validate the legal acts of the minor this provision intended for the protection of the youthful and incapable was retained in the practice of the inquisition because it was necessary to render valid the various compulsory acts of the accused in the successive steps of his trial but in order that it might not by any chance be of value to him and to preserve the secrecy of the holy office the custom was adopted of appointing the advocate or preferably the jailer or messenger or some other underling of the tribunal to serve as curador as it was thus wholly subversive of the object for which the function was created there is grotesque cynicism in the pompous formalities through which the curador was interjected into the proceedings he took a solemn oath that he would diligently and faithfully defend his ward alleging all that was to his advantage and preventing all that was injurious advising with his advocate and doing all that a good guardian could do for a ward and if the latter through his negligence suffered injury he pledged his person and property to make it good giving a security another person a fellow-subordinate who united with him in the liability jointly and severally renouncing all legal defence and placing themselves and all their possessions in the hands of the inquisitors 
being thus a mere formality or rather a deception involving the perjury of those who took the formidable oath it may be dismissed from further consideration except to cite a case illustrative of the rigid formalism of procedure in sixteen thirty eight at valladolid blanca enriquez on trial for judaism represented herself as twenty-two years of age and as usual was given a curador she confessed to having been reconciled at cordova nine or ten years before a vote in discordia carried the case to the suprema which discovered that her previous trial had occurred in sixteen twenty three when she was fifteen and consequently she was now thirty the curador therefore had rendered the trial irregular and the suprema ordered it to be repeated from the beginning there was another form of assistance allowed to the accused when the questions at issue involved nice theological points beyond the capacity of the ordinary advocates learned doctors were called in as patrones theologos to aid the accused after he had been heard in defence of his incriminated propositions in ordinary practice the propositions and his answers were read to them to each one they said whether he had satisfactorily explained it or not or whether he ought to retract or whatever other conclusion they might reach then the whole was submitted to the calificadores who pronounced their final censure nominally the patrones were selected by the accused but in this as in everything else the inquisition sought to control the defence when in fifteen seventy four fray luis de leon was told that he could have patrones he named four from various places the valladolid tribunal referred the nominations to the suprema which replied by asking whom it was accustomed to give from among its calificadores and on being informed ordered that the routine custom should be followed fray luis's protest that he did not want calificadores who had already pronounced against him was set aside patrones were not meant to defend the accused in his heresies but to undeceive him and tell him what he should believe it is true that the suprema finally receded from this position but by a juggle continued for months fray luis was forced to take a man whom he did not want and who was only a new and disguised calificador conference between them was denied and the opinion which the patron rendered was withheld from him the wisest course for a theologian in the hands of the inquisition was that adopted by fray thomas de nieva in sixteen forty two when on trial at valladolid for certain conclusions defended by him in scholastic debate he refused both advocate and patrones saying that he was subject to correction by the church and by learned theologians and he did not propose to defend the inculpated propositions end of section seven recording by shenna sayre fresno california